0: It is indeed good to be here with you today and to read God's Word. I'm going to read just the first five verses of our text today, and if you would, keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 10. We'll be going through that together. This is God's Word. The man Cornelius, I'll mention in a moment, is a centurion, a Roman centurion living in Israel. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the Ninth hour, behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said truly I understand or it could be translated now I understand or now I get it that God shows no partiality but in every nation everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. May the Lord give us understanding of his word and please be seated. I don't know how many of you love to follow the uh, discoveries of science that are in the news and the magazines, things people send us. So, uh, one of them has to do with goldfish. Now, I used to feel sorry for goldfish till I read this piece. I think about their little life going around and around a twelve-inch bowl. How boring! How restricted! Every five seconds, seeing the same sunken pirate ship, the same treasure chest, the same submerged palm tree, wondering why it's still green. What could be worse? And then I read this piece, and the piece said that goldfish ordinarily have a memory, short-term memory span of three seconds, which means (laughs) that that five-second journey around the goldfish bowl is endlessly thrilling. (laughs) Look, a pirate ship. A treasure chest and a palm tree. Wow. A pirate ship. <laughs> a treasure chest. Now, in honor of this discovery at my family's gatherings, when somebody says something and then somebody else immediately forgets it, we call it gold fishing. <laughs> gold fishing again. Now it's fine if you forget what time we're supposed to leave for dinner to go to see our friends. It's not quite as good if you forget the really big things. And this passage is in large measure about forgetting something very big and something that every believer should remember. And and not only was it forgotten, but Peter the Apostle, who of all all people, should know it, is the one who forgot. If you have your Bibles handy nearby, I wanna go to chapter 10, verses 1-8, and just, just, I'm not gonna read it to you, but to tell you what happens. When the story goes like this. There's a centurion. His name is Cornelius, and he's part of the Roman force that occupies Israel, part of the Roman force that would be viewed as an enemy that uh, defiled the land, taxed the land, oppressed the land, part of the Roman system. He was different from most of them. He didn't worship pagan gods. He didn't worship the emperor. He feared God, the passage says, which means that he worshiped the God of Israel and followed at least the Ten Commandments. Now. The phrase fear God is actually almost a technical phrase that means someone who worships the Lord, follows the Ten Commandments, but doesn't follow the laws of food and association that were unique to Israel. In other words, he said, look, I'm still going to spend my time with Gentiles. I'm still going to keep my job. And so an Israelite might think, or we might think, here's someone who's interested in God, the things of God, but we would say not fully committed. Not willing to go all the way. But he was a man of prayer, and he prayed at three in the afternoon, the passage says. That was the time of prayer when offerings were given in the temple, considered to be the best time to pray, when God would hear. And he prayed, and in response to the prayer, he got a vision of a man glowing, we say therefore an angel who spoke to him in a vision and said this, your prayers and your alms, your gifts to the poor, have ascended to God, and, and God has heard you, and here's the answer to your prayer. Send to Joppa, to a man named Simon, who's a tanner, who lives by the sea, there's a man named Simon Peter who's with him, go get him. So Cornelius obeys the vision, sent a couple of his servants, some soldiers, and away they went, a 30-mile walk, almost a two-day journey, and we can imagine what he might have said. I I don't know who Peter is. I don't know where he lives. I don't know what he's going to say, but you have to go find him and get him and bring him back, and so away they go. Now, God, of course, is the coordinator of all the things that he wants to accomplish, especially his mission, the proclamation of his gospel throughout the world, and as a consequence, he's also working in Peter. So almost two days later, actually a day and a half later, the men arrive as Peter is also praying. Now this is, um, this is God's coordination. They came to the town. They didn't know where to find Peter. They didn't know how to find him. No, you know, no Google maps. And so they they find their way, and they find their way just as Peter has wrapped up his prayer. His prayer is going like this. It's near noon. He's uh, going up to the roof to pray, a common practice in those days and cultures. And maybe people are preparing food downstairs, and the smell of food makes him think of food, and God uses that, and, and he sends Peter a vision also. And in this vision, something like a very large sheet, imagine something coming out of the wall, you know, 30 feet wide and 15 feet tall, coming down. And on this sheet are, are animals of every kind clean animals like cattle, but also unclean animals like pigs. And as he sees this vision, a voice comes from heaven and says, Rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't do that, Lord. I, I never touch anything unclean. And the voice says, Don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. Now, this is a shock to Peter's system. He's been following the food laws his whole life. And so God gives the vision three times. Three times, comes down. The voice says, rise up, kill and eat. Peter says, I can't. God says, don't call anything unclean. I've called clean. Three times, it goes to heaven. And then the men arrive. And Peter is silent. He's wondering. And the knock comes at the door. And as the knock comes at the door, the Spirit says to Peter, don't hesitate to go with these men. I have sent them. And so Peter goes down, and he meets the men, and he says, I'm the one you're looking for? Um, why have you come? And Cornelius' men present their case as best they can. You can just imagine them standing there saying, uh, we're here to bring you to the house of Cornelius is a centurion, but he's really a good man. Now, they've got to kind of rush over it because a centurion is not a beloved person ordinarily. A centurion is, is an oppressor. It's like, it's like getting invitation summons to go to the house of, you know, a captain of the secret police, the Gestapo. He, he doesn't want to go with these people. Not only does he not want to go for reasons of self-preservation, but uh, this is an unclean house. He's been a man who's always watched God's laws of clean and unclean and Centurion's house is unclean he can he can't go but the vision is ringing in his ears what I have called clean don't call unclean and so he says come on in stay at my house spend the night and we'll go and Peter goes and takes a number of his friends as witnesses along. Now, it takes altogether four days to walk to Peter and to walk back, and Cornelius, during these intervening days, has been telling all of his friends. We just had an announcement, Chad. Tell your friends about Easter. What better time for people to come to church? Take those, those announcement sheets about the services. Tell your friends. Cornelius has been telling his friends. I can't imagine what it went like. It went something like this. About four days from now, there's going to be a man coming. His name is Peter. Don't really know him, don't know what he's going to say, can't even tell you when he's going to arrive, but uh, you got to come. And they come. His whole family, all of his friends respond to this persuasive invitation, an invitation maybe I hope some of you will make. To your non-Christian friends, you know that 25% of all atheists go to church on Easter Sunday. So find your local atheist, (laughs) bring him to church with you. Tell him, you've got to come. So Peter walks in, he sees the people, and he begins to talk. And he says, Now I realize, now I get it, now I see, now I understand that God does not show favoritism. It's a striking moment. He says, Now I understand that God has no favorite people, no favorite race, no favorite skin color, no favorite place, no favorite language. He doesn't like the rich more than the poor, the poor more than the rich. He doesn't like male more than female, Jew more than Gentile. He says, now I get it, as I see all these Gentiles. Now, i got to tell you, it's a goldfishing moment. Because he should know. I mean, he's seen Jesus walking into Gentile territory, touching Samaritans, touching lepers, speaking to Gentiles. He knows that Jesus told him to go make disciples throughout all the nations. And yet he says oh, now I get the point. It's, uh, it's an amazing moment. It's a moment set up by real confusion on his part. When he walks in, he says to them, I never would have come unless God told me to come. Before he begins to speak, he actually says the words, it was good of you to come here. May I ask why you sent for me? My Chad already kindly told you that I'm a professor. Professors, like teachers, have a saying. The saying is there's no such thing as a stupid question, but there are some that come really close. (laughs) And when the apostle Peter says, why am I here? He is treading on ground that's really close to stupid question. But Cornelius answers in a way that, that stirs Peter. It's actually an answer that I would encourage all of you to use as you listen to your pastors week by week. He says, Cornelius says, it was good of you to come and now we're all here to listen to everything God has commanded you to tell us. Listen to every word of this, we are here. First of all, we're not just individuals, right? We are here, Peter and all of us, Peter speaks to Cornelius and all of his friends. We are here. The faith is individual and also corporate. We are here before God. We're not simply gathered. We didn't just come to church or to listen. We are here as God is our witness. We're here. We're not here and daydreaming. We're not here and thinking about the next NCAA game early in the afternoon. We're here. We're here before God to listen, not to have our eardrums vibrate, but to listen. We're here to listen to everything. One of my friends said, if you want to know what the Lord is saying to the church today, look at the parts of your Bible that aren't underlined. We're here to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. The speaker doesn't say what he wants to say. He says what God has commanded him to say. And Peter then says... Now I realize, now I get it. All of you are here. God has a purpose for all of you Gentiles, for Cornelius and all of your friends. Now I see it, the gospel's for everyone, for Jew and for Gentile, for Romans and for Israelites. And he begins to preach the gospel. He says it in a way that sounds a little bit funny to us. The way he says it at first is, God accepts men from every nation. The word men means men and women, humans. God accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You might think to yourself, well, that's not the way we say the gospel, is it? We talk about believing and repenting. But for that audience, it was actually a good way to say it, to fear him, to say there is a God who should be taken seriously because so many of the pagan gods were frivolous and silly and, and immoral. Fear a God who was worthy of fear, awe, and reverence. Fear him and do what is right. Meaning that in those days, many of the gods, the Greco-Roman deities and other deities they knew of from Egypt, were completely immoral or abhorrent. But I'm telling you, Peter says, there is a God who is moral, who is, who is just and righteous and loving and fair and kind That's the God I'm telling you about. I'm telling you about a God who is worthy of of worship and adoration, who is is worthy of awesome reverence, and he is good. And therefore, he asks us to be good. You may again say, well, that's not the gospel. Fear God and be good. Well, he's only getting started. He has a few more things to say. And in fact, he does say them. He says, let me tell you, as the passage goes on, that God has declared peace to all men. There is peace between this holy God, this awesome God, this worthy of reverence God, and you. And, and here's how you can find peace. It says, this God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who taught freely and widely, who healed all over Israel and released people who were held by the power of the devil. And what he did was public. It's not some private act. We are his witnesses. There are many witnesses. We ate with him. We drank with him. He died. He rose. We saw it. We ate and drank with him more. That's what we're proclaiming to we you. Nothing that was hidden. Very public events. Travel to Israel. You can find the witnesses. And we proclaim him. We don't just proclaim him now. There have been prophets testifying to him for centuries and centuries. And they always said the same thing. They always said, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness in his name. And now we think, oh, that's the gospel we've heard. Believe in him, receive forgiveness. And and Peter proclaims this gospel. And he also says, now I realize that it really is for everybody. Humans are are a strange bunch, aren't we? How could Peter forget the gospel? Might as well ask the question, how can you and I forget the gospel? Because I'm I'm quite convinced that we can. I think it's partly because the gospel is so simple that a four-year-old, we had a couple four-year-olds watching their siblings be baptized today, a four-year-old can comprehend it. I'm a sinner, I can't be good enough, Jesus loves me, if I believe in him, he'll forgive me my sins, he died for me. A four-year-old can understand that, and because a four-year-old can understand that, a 34-year-old or a 54-year-old goes, that's kind of basic, I need to move on to deeper things. And we get sleepy, and we wanna to move to something more challenging. So let me ask you, if it is possible for you, like me, to forget the gospel. Peter forgot because he came to the idea that the gospel is is for people like him. For Gentiles, no. For Jews, yes. For people who know, for people who have some theology. That's who it's for. And when you say that, you've forgotten the gospel because you begin to think it's a message for people who are like me. It's not pure and free grace for everyone who believes. It's for people like, like me. And that's a forgetting of the gospel. I was a pastor of a church a lot like this, a lot like this for over a decade. And there are a lot of people who are very self-sufficient in these churches because you're so successful and you have your degrees and you're respectable. And you can trust that instead of the gospel. And here's another one. You can also think to yourself, all the people around me have their life together, and I'm the only one who doesn't. I I just hope that the great unmasking does not occur, and that my friends and neighbors don't realize that I'm a fraud. And that's, of course, a way to forget the gospel, isn't it? That I've got to appear to be good enough. This particular trip, I was spared the troubles of, of being in a hotel that had a traveling baseball team, basketball team, hockey team. Competing athletes can forget the gospel. It's real simple. If we make the shot, we are glorious. If we miss, we are pitiful, shameful subhumans. Have you ever engaged in competitive sports? Competitive sports is a great way to forget the gospel. To think to yourself, if I succeed, if I hit it in by an inch, I am grand. And if I hit it out by an inch, I am a total loser. Again, this is a a wonderful church, a church with many people who have well-ordered lives. But it's also true that even a church like this, many of you came, many of you came from profoundly broken homes, homes in which mom and dad never said, I love you, Often angry, often chiding, often harsh. And if you grew up in that home, you can think to yourself, it's very easy for a child growing up in that home to think, if I can just be good enough, my mother, my father will stop shouting at me. My mother, my father will will finally say the words, I love you, if I'm just good enough. And that's a way to forget the gospel. Because you still say to yourself, if I'm just good enough, if I'm just good enough, I'll be accepted. Here's the gospel. You are not and never shall be good enough, but God still loves you. He still loves you. You don't have to earn his favor. You don't have to make the shot. You don't have to have a master's degree or a PhD. You do not have to have a good income. Just believe in Jesus. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you more, and there's nothing he can do that will make him love you less. That's the gospel. Believe that gospel. Receive that gospel. It'll bring you joy. I was once in church at Christmas season, and the pastor announced, our closing hymn is Joy to the World, and I'm not kidding you, the woman about three feet away, audibly groaned, not joy to the world not joy to the world again. By which she meant, can we, you know, sing something about sacred heads now wounded or something different? I did know the woman. Um, Maybe she didn't mean it. Maybe she did. It is funny how Christians can actually say the words, not joy to the world. I'm so tired of joy to the world. Maybe she was tired of the gospel, I don't know. May I urge you never to grow tired of the gospel. The gospel has within it the answer to every riddle in life. If you are feeling guilty, the gospel says, God justifies you are right in his sight forever because the finished work of Christ, that can never be undone. If you feel at odds with somebody today, most of you probably do. The gospel is, the gospel of peace is the word of reconciliation between God and humanity that brings you peace and at least a good chance at reconciliation for anyone and everyone with whom you are at odds. Reconciliation is in the gospel. If you feel trapped, I don't know what you might feel trapped by. But if you feel feel trapped, the gospel is the word of redemption, which is the word of release. It means you are out of slavery, out of bondage. You are set free. So release is in the gospel. If you feel you're, you're not good enough, not moral enough, your life is out of order, then the gospel is the word that God loves you and empowers you and sends you his spirit, not so you can be good enough to earn his favor, but once you have his favor, he is working in you, and you can begin to make substantial progress. Not perfection. Progress is within range. Time forbids that I continue on this theme. Savor, my friends, the gospel. Remember the gospel. Don't feel bad when you say, oh, I forgot the gospel. Peter did too. He said, now I realize, now I remember, now I get it. Now I'm back to the gospel. And so may you. Love it, treasure it, receive it, believe it. Turn to the one in faith and love who gives it, even our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would indeed love, savor, taste, believe, and proclaim your gospel, even as Cornelius did. I pray that because of our love of you, we would love your message and the message of peace, that we would have joy in this, that there would be joy to us, and that there would be joy to the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.